a financial plan requires planning. It's savings, RRSPs, investments, and planning for the unexpected. TD Term Life Insurance can help protect your family's financial future if you were to unexpectedly pass away. You can apply for TD Term Life Insurance online or over the phone by speaking to a licensed advisor. If you're under the age of 55, you could be approved for up to $500,000 of coverage without a medical exam. Conditions apply. TD Term Life Insurance is underwritten by TD Life Insurance Company. Visit tdinsurance.com slash termlife to learn more. President Donald Trump has left office, but his political presence will likely be lingering for some time both in the U.S. and Canada. And that poses a problem for Conservative Party leader Aaron O'Toole. With the threat of a possible election, an ongoing concern, O'Toole has tried to distance himself from claims he is far-right and quash attacks that his party is Trump-lite. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. My guest today is Andrew McDougall, a communications consultant and ex-director of communications to former Prime Minister Stephen Harper, who wrote for the Ottawa Citizen why Trumpism is a problem for Aaron O'Toole to address and the electoral consequences if he doesn't. Don't forget, you can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So, Andrew, given your past experience working with our most recent conservative prime minister, generally speaking, what is the challenge for leaders of a conservative party in Canada when it comes to leading and winning elections? Making sure that enough people vote for you. And by that, I mean, expanding your voting coalition so the people who might uh, consider you actually pull the lever for you. And, and Stephen Harper was able to do that through a combination of fatigue with the previous government, then the threat of global economic chaos and him being seen as the responsible steward throughout that. But it's about keeping that accessible vote in line with the Conservative Party base, which is a smaller percentage of Canadians than would, for example, consider voting for for a Liberal Party. And that's the challenge, you know, keeping your base sweet while reaching out to enough people to form government. It's a tough balancing act. When Aaron O'Toole took over as Conservative leader, what do you think the biggest challenge was facing him? Was it getting past Andrew Scheer's tenure as leader? Was it making himself familiar to Canadians? Or was it appealing to that base and then some? I think it's a mix of all three, but I think the number one thing, the challenge facing Aaron O'Toole is that absolutely nobody knows who he is. Very few Canadians at the time he was selected Conservative leader had ever heard his name. And that's despite being a cabinet minister for the latter bits of the Harper government and having quite an impressive CV of both kind of military contributions, corporate law. He's an unknown. And when you're an opposition politician, that is the biggest challenge because the government has the biggest microphone in the land. They spend all the money. Mm-hmm. They set the agenda. So that's perpetually the challenge for an opposition leader. Now, what Justin Trudeau had going for him when he was an opposition leader is that everybody had heard of him because his last name was Trudeau. Uh, Aaron O'Toole does not have that advantage. And then you add to the mix the fact that people were very unsure about the party after Andrew Scheer Although it was a minority government that was elected in 2019 and the Conservatives actually outvoted the Liberals in in terms of raw votes, Andrew Scheer regressed in all the places Conservatives need to grow to win. So if you think about the 905 around Toronto, suburban Montreal, suburban Vancouver, even now out west, you know, the kind of bigger cities uh, have kind of a solidly liberal core 
or NDP if you're up in Edmonton, both cities have elected both. Mm -hmm. The challenge there is how do you not just kind of add up to your super vote winning totals in rural Alberta ridings and actually reach into the places that you need to flip. And on that barometer, Aaron O'Toole has inherited a large challenge now compacted by the fact that they had to go through another leadership race where social conservatives in particular play kind of a very important role in choosing who is the leader. And now Aaron O'Toole is seeing as we speak how hard it is to keep that bit of the coalition sweet while having to weed out some of the less desirable elements of it. He's had a few months in the position of leader. Do you think he's done enough to articulate to Canadians who he is and what he's all about? Or has he left himself open to criticism from the Trudeau liberals that may or may not be a fair representation of who he is as a politician? Well, yeah, I mean, I think you can count on the liberals to not play fair here (laughs) because they know that picking on those scabs works, right? It's their go-to move. It works just about every time. And, you know, you saw the last election, the first week was just about, oh, look, we found this scary conservative candidate run for the hills. So you know that he's got that, in fact. So has Aaron O'Toole done enough? No. But in a sense, he will never get chance enough until there's actually an election happening and people's minds are turned to it. And I think that goes kind of double this time because everybody's worried about kind of more important things right now. You know, am I safe? Is my health going to be okay? Do I still have a job? They haven't gotten around to thinking about Aaron O'Toole and who he is or isn't. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people's introduction to him will be things like this week, where he's dealing with an MP like Derek Sloan, who's kind of gone off the reservation. And the challenge for him will now be to put forward kind of solid policy ideas that get people excited. And that's been the Conservatives' problem for the last kind of two or three elections, even the latter bits of the Harper era, is kind of what big idea do you have down there that can get people excited? You know, Justin Trudeau had legalizing pot and a carbon tax. And and electoral reform. Mm. You might like those, you might not. He did some, didn't do others, but at least he put some ideas down there that got people talking. And for him, got enough progressives that might have voted for Thomas Mulcair in 2015 to go, no, you know what? I'm going to take a punt on Trudeau and see how that works out. So Aaron O'Toole's got to put some great ideas. And fortunately for him, the canvas is wide open. You know, there are a lot of meaty policy issues that need to be discussed in Canada, particularly as we're kind of buried under a debt that is now 400 billion plus and counting. So now's the time for some kind of creative thinking. And if you can show more of that, I think you'll have a chance. In your most recent column in the Ottawa Citizen, you talked about Aaron O'Toole needing to deal with the idea of Trumpism in the Canadian conservative movement. What does Trumpism in Canada actually look like? It's more a sentiment than it is kind of a set of policy actions right now. I think it's a sense that people don't listen to me and people don't get my life and they don't get the challenges I'm facing. And I think if you look kind of more broadly at kind of what ails Western democracies now, you have an elite, and I use that term advisedly, that includes politicians, media, kind of big corporate types who have kind of had 30, 40 years of globalization and done quite well out of that. And now they're governing countries that have huge populations that have not done well from that and will not be credentialed to the degree that they are that don't look at Amazon as a great thing, for example, because they don't order stuff on Amazon. They're more likely to go work in an Amazon fulfillment center and be sweated intensely hardly for 13 bucks an hour. And so I think this is the kind of sentiment that Trumpism feeds off of. And I think Donald Trump diagnosed a whole lot of problems correctly in 2015 and 2016, even if he had no interest in actually solving them and making people's lives better. And if you back that up to Canada, what you can't have happen if you're Aaron O'Toole is feed into these people's anger and mistrust of the system to get what you want electorally. You have to win them over with better ideas for, look, I hear you, I know what you're feeling, 
here's what I'm going to do within the system, within government to fix that. And it's not about shouting that the media sucks and it's all fake and you can't trust everyone. That's a pernicious road. If you go down that road, you might win, but then what are you going to do? Because mm-hmm. nobody trusts in the system. And I think if you look at the states now and the legacy of Trumpism, that's it, is that you have an entire half of the country that doesn't believe what the other half believes. And that makes politics impossible. You know, if you have kind of 90% of Republicans going, the election was stolen, and 2% of Democrats believing that, that's a bridge that's a little hard to divide. And I think that's what it looks like in Canada. And I think that the comparison is not what Trump has done now. It's how things felt in 2015 and 16 that created the conditions for him to succeed. And I think it was that, that sense of belief that nobody in Washington, and in this case, Ottawa, to transpose the scenario, understands what's going on and has my interests at heart. They're just a bunch of self-serving insiders that will do fine no matter what. And meanwhile, we here back in the hinterlands are going to struggle and they don't care. You know, They tell me, go to university, get a degree, go have a better life, move. Well, I can't because I can't afford it. I don't want to move because I like where I live. But all the jobs I had where I could make a decent living are going. Mm-hmm. And I know that pain is particularly acute in places like Alberta now, where the energy sector has just taken a beating. And we have the Keystone Excel decision that's going to make it even more painful. And the government's scaring away foreign investment. Now, why would you feel confident that anybody in Ottawa is going to do anything for you? And so you have to kind of tamp that fire out. And you do that with policy, not by feeding into raw emotion and anger. On that note, some of the messaging that we're getting from Aaron O'Toole and the Conservatives are things like take Canada back, as opposed to talking about policy, they just want to take Canada back. Does that hurt them with the people that they need to win over? Or does it maybe embolden people that they don't want to embolden? Like, what does messaging like that do? Well, I think this is the thing that Aaron O'Toole in particular is finding out now. It's called being too clever by half, right? Lots of people have used language like that. Take Canada back. We want this back. You know, that, that standard political rhetoric when the other guys have been running the joint for a bit too long. You know, like, we're going to take it back. Yeah. What conservatives have to understand in Canada is they will always be judged by a different standard on their rhetoric. In particular, they will be judged even more harshly given what's happened for the last four or five years down south. So I think they knew full well that that slogan would resonate with a bit of the population that they have to get excited, i.e. their base. But I think they should have also known that it would set off alarm bells on the other side of the aisle. And it would just be a club for people like Justin Trudeau to wield, to beat them, saying, look at these awful populists. They're talking about rigged elections. They're talking about taking it back. We've all heard that before. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And wouldn't it be a shame if that came to Canada? Blah, blah, blah. So set aside what the purpose was originally meant to be, Aaron O'Toole has to live in the real world where the repercussions are maybe not fair, but they're not a surprising interpretation when people take exception to that kind of language, especially now. You have to expect it. You mentioned Derek Sloan not long ago as we're recording this on Wednesday morning in Canada. The party is looking at what to do with the caucus membership of Ontario MP Derek Sloan. What do you make of that situation? And how does Aaron O'Toole deal with people like him in caucus or within the party without alienating a segment of the party that supported Derek Sloan in the leadership race or maybe even helped Aaron O'Toole win his position as Conservative Party leader? Yeah, I think, I mean, this is the so tricky a conversation for a conservative leader to have. And I think the easiest way to do it is just to be to clean and clear as you can. And you have to draw a bright, bright line between what is acceptable and not acceptable. 
And I think it is not only acceptable, but should be encouraged that social conservatives participate in politics. Now, that said, social conservatism is not ethnic nationalism. It's not nativism. They are two separate things. And although some social conservatives might be nativist, it is not a feature of social conservatism. And so I think when idiots like Derek Sloan get up and say, well, we can't trust the head of public health because she might be a Chinese plant or that gay kids are weird and we should convert them back. Although the latter one is kind of more social conservatism. And I think there, Aaron O'Toole just has to say, look, you might think that you're free to that opinion, but that is not the position of the party. And more to the point, if you're in public life to change things like banning gay marriage or banning abortion, it's not going to happen through this party and it's not going to happen through parliament. That's just not where the mood of the country is. You might not like that, but that's settled public opinion in Canada. So if your reason for being in politics is those things, I'd encourage you to do something else. But if you want to fight for people who are feeling left behind by the global economy, if you want a more equitable stake for your region from Ottawa, then come fight with me. And I think that's fine. And I think Derek Sloan, if he is indeed shown the door, he'll try to say that this is a move against social conservatism. And Aaron O'Toole has to fire back and go, no, it's not. It's a move against your kind of brand of politics. And there's a reason why a white nationalist named Paul Fromm, probably Canada's most famous neo-Nazi, felt compelled to donate to you. And that should give you pause. Mm -hmm. If he is thinking I should put a few bucks down on this guy, I would hope that any elected official in Canada go, well, why is that? I don't want that. I want no part of this. This is one where O'Toole just has to be clear of what is and what isn't acceptable. And people who support Derek Sloan's social conservatism have to realize that what he's being punished for isn't that. It is for just saying a series of dumb things that aren't helpful. And not only are they not helpful, they're harmful for the movement. And so he's better on the outside. And if Maxime Bernier and the People's Party won, knock yourself out. But that's not going to be us. And Andrew Scheer, to his credit, made that decision and said, if you want to party with Maxime, go party with Maxime. It's not going to be here. The problem for Andrew Scheer was that nobody believed that those weren't actually his views, particularly social conservative views, where I don't think Aaron O'Toole will have that problem. He'll have the reverse side of that problem, convincing the social conservatives that he's not going to harm them, even if he's not going to do too much for them. And that was the kind of Harper proposition. You know, I need you on my team, but don't think it's because I'm going to do things for you on the issues you care about. After your column in The Citizen ran, and I'm not saying that this was causal, but I noted that after it ran, that Aaron O'Toole put out a statement basically saying we're not a party of racists, that racism has no place in Canadian society. It seemed pretty striking that the leader of the Conservative Party would have to put out a statement like that in 2021. What do you suppose the motivation for that was? And what do you think it says about the public perception of the Conservative Party that he had to put it out? Great question. And I think this is one where Conservatives in Canada have maybe been stalling on the conversation that they need to have for too long because they don't feel they should have to answer this kind of stuff. But I think when you duck the conversation, you just invite the same attack over and over again. And it's not dealt with until you deal with it. And it has to be dealt with. And it's better it's dealt with now than before an election comes and you're dealing with it during an election cycle, because that would be the worst outcome, I think. I've spoken with some other conservative writers on this front, people like Sean Spear and Jamil Giovanni and Tasha Carradine, and they've all said in varying ways that the problem is partly a lack of small C conservative solutions to agreed upon problems like racism or like 
childcare, things of that nature. Is that what you're seeing when you look at the conservative movement in Canada? And is there a path to victory by really focusing on policy in that way? Yeah, it has to be. I couldn't agree more. If conservatives want to listen to Sean Spear, I'd invite them to do that all day because they'll come away with a whole bunch of good ideas about how to make the kind of modern day global economy more equitable for more people. And I think Aaron O'Toole gets that. Look, if you go back to his speech on Labor Day, it almost sounded like it could have been Ed Broadbent giving it kind of this homage to the working man and woman mm-hmm. and honest day's work for honest day's wages. And I think he's trying to tap in that sentiment that we were talking about earlier about how some people feel disrespected or undervalued in the modern economy. And the way to speak to them is through policy about concrete ways you can make them better, whether that's childcare supports, whether that's incentives to work, whether that's reskilling and retraining. You know, there are a number of things that conservatives can do. And the more they try to do that, the less opportunity there will be for limp liberal attacks. You know, I think part of the reason why it worked in the last election for Justin Trudeau is because Andrew Scheer didn't really have much that was new to say about policy. And I think conservatives have gotten a bit lazy. And this is partly an after effect of the Harper years where there was kind of so many little boutique tax credits and stuff like that, that it kind of larded up the system and made it a bit more complicated. I think there's a lot of room to make things a lot more simple on the policy front and more equitable, whether that's a tax system, simplifying it, you know, whether it's streamlining supports for people. You know, there's a lot of waste and duplication in a lot of what we do. And, and there's no reason a, a principled small C conservative couldn't come with a whole host of policy ideas. And hopefully Aaron O'Toole is doing all that work behind the scenes because he's not going to win a culture war in Canada. He's not going to out-culture Justin Trudeau because Justin Trudeau doesn't have to try that hard. He wants that fight. He doesn't want to have to talk about his record or his personal failings. He just wants to talk about how conservatives are scary people because it makes the conservatives angry and they fight back on similar terms. And it scares the crap out of NDP voters and gets them voting liberal. And that's all he has to do. And so he'll do it again, guaranteed, 100%. Put all the money you have on that bet and it will pay off. So the conservatives have to try to fight a different fight. And that fight has to be per Sean, per Jamil, per Tasha. It has to be policy focused, not just finding a more clever way to say it, which would be my area of expertise. Well, it's a a fascinating discussion. I know it's something that we'll be paying close attention to as the next election looms on the horizon. Not sure when that'll be, but we know what's coming. Andrew, thanks for your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Dave. 10-3 is produced by Sean Knox. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Andrew McDougall. More from him at ottawacitizen.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.